This is an ABC podcast. Can you be more Pacific? On ABC Radio Australia. And welcome to Can You Be More Pacific? I'm Dean Hullatow, and as always, I'm joined by my awesome co-host, Sarah Nangama, albeit in a different location. Bulabinaka, Dean, and Bulabu to all of our listeners. Yes, I am joining you from Christchurch, New Zealand. I've officially made the move across the ditch to come and participate in the Super Rugby Opiki season. So, yes, life is looking fab here on this side. But we've got a jam-packed show for you all. We'll chat to Cook Islands Cricket Association President Grant Walker for Talanoa Time. And we have a new question for our favourite segment. You can ask that. But hello. That aside, how have you been? How has your week been also? Sarah, the week's been good. I was lucky enough to head over to New Zealand, to Rotorua, for the uh, All-Stars. I was there actually on the Thursday for the Warriors versus Tigers trial match. I don't want to go into that too much because the Warriors absolutely smoked the Tigers. Um, but, yeah, the weekend <laughs> down in Rotorua, the, the game or the All-Stars match altogether was uh, a really good event. Uh, we'll get into the results a little bit after, but uh, a really – um, exciting time for the locals, but also great to see two cultures come together and celebrate each other and um, some really good football played too. So really enjoyed that. Sarah, how's the, uh, how's the move been? The move has been um, quite hectic. I've only been here for not even a week, but the team that I'm with, which is Matatu, they've embraced me so well and it feels like I'm a full-time professional because we're basically in our HQ by say eight o'clock in the morning and don't finish up till about 5 p.m. in the evening. And we have like three sessions, lunch in the middle of the day, mindfulness, all these little extra workshops. So I'm just soaking the whole experiencing up because I don't really experience this throughout my super season back home, Um, but I am just embracing it like what the competition has been able to offer me so far. Well, I'm sure you're going to come back even better, a player, and contribute once you get into those uh, those levels back here that uh, need that kind of experience. Yes, certainly, which does give us a good segue into our top story for this week. This is something that's really close to my heart and something I'm really proud to share, but a $2 million funding boosting for the Wallaroos was announced last week. And Rugby Australia have announced up to 35 players who will be centrally contracted. And this basically means um, in the lead up to the 2025, into the lead up to 2025, they're trying to make the game more and more professional. And the first step is by being able to offer um, players a contract that will allow them to step away from work and focus a little bit more on their rugby. Um, and then as we get closer and closer to Rugby World Cup, which will be hosted here in 2029, when Australia is hosting it, the plan is to have all of us full-time contracted. So this is a huge, huge moment for women's rugby in Australia. That's awesome news. And uh, I, I know this is something that we've spoken about at length on the show about the need to provide some financial uh, some decent financial remuneration to players who give up so much of their own time and and front a lot of their own costs to to participate in competitions, but to to try and aspire to be a Wallaroo and and for them to, for Rugby Australia to come out and make this announcement, it's it's nice. It's good to see that they're actually putting their money where their mouth is. Yeah, it certainly is. It was really cool because last week a whole bunch of Wallaroos went over to the Prime Minister's house um, where he announced this and they were able to just spend time with him and I guess really soak up what this moment is and it's just such a nod to all the women that have gone before us, even the administrators who had to do it for nothing but purely for the love and we now stand on their shoulders and are able to be contracted players and remunerated for our time and for our passion. So it's a it's a really huge moment. I don't think I've really soaked in um, 
what this means to, to me and to the game, but I'm sure with time and being around my friends and us dissecting it more and more, um, it, it'll, I guess, have its impact. But it's just such such great news and it's so exciting because even though Rugby Union has received this fabulous news, there have been further developments between the NRL and RLPA in regards to the NRLW competition. Yeah, this is, this is big news as of today, or sorry, as of a couple of days ago, the NRL and uh, the RLPA agreed to terms on uh, the, the CBA for the NRLW, which hasn't um, happened before. There hasn't been a CBA in existence for the NRLW before. But um, what it means is that NRLW players, and it's an in-principle agreement, um, but the NRLW players will receive private health insurance uh, under the agreement to go up with, sorry, to go with 12-month contracts and the ability to sign multi-year deals from 23 onwards. Uh, salary cap has also been increased with um, payments, uh, total player payments going from 350000 and 900000 for each club. So that, that's a really um, significant increase. It's, it's awesome that uh, the game has been able to move forward with the RPA and come to this agreement. I know uh, there's been a lot of noise around the CBA over the last few months or for, for several months now for both the men and the women. Um, and this is a, a huge step in, in getting that all cleared, uh, but also, um, you know, well-deserved for the NRLW players that are going to be receiving far better in, uh, employment benefits. Yeah, it's just so great to be able to see, I guess, this whole situation find um, a, a conclusion because it's been something that's been hot on the press. But, again, echoing what you've just said, it is um, a fitting a fitting recognition for the contribution that the women make to the game. And just to be able to see continuity in the game because there's promise in, in the finances um, is, is huge and will no doubt place everyone, including the game, in good stead. Yeah, well done to all involved. Now, speaking of rugby league and staying with it, uh, I mentioned before in the top that we had the All-Stars down in Otterroo on the weekend in New Zealand, uh, first time that the game's been played there. And uh, I was lucky enough to be out there and, and witness one, the crowd get involved. The crowd was uh, really, very, it was a huge crowd to start with, but they were very supportive of both teams and, and what the event was. But um, that was backed up by some really high quality football and uh, it was one apiece. So the, the men's all-stars, uh, the Indigenous team, got the bickies there in, in a really tight match. It was very end-to-end, back and forth, but um, they, they showed some flair and uh, it was just a, a strong performance by Indigenous side that always is proud to represent. Nico Hines was outstanding. Um, I, I didn't think he was going to be contributing as much as he did in the game. It's it's always um, scary in trial matches or not even trial matches, preseason matches, trying to look after yourself, knowing that you've got a full season to go. But he was in everything. He put his hand up to carry the dirty runs. He wanted to be in the attacking end, coming up with the right kick in the right play. So he was head and shoulders, I thought, above uh, the others. But in the uh, the women's game, the New Zealand Maldi side were – Far too, not far too strong, but they were too strong for the Indigenous. And Zali Faye from the Parramatta Eels, she grabbed a double and she also came up with a covering tackle at the end to, to stop, um, well, it was 12 all at the time, but to stop the Indigenous side from getting away from them. And um, I thought Gal Broughton was a standout in that match. Um, she was great at the back. Again, she just got involved in everything. She was having two or three runs every set uh, and working herself to a standstill. And I think she's like... In, in the in women's rugby league, she's probably the best mover I've seen in the women's game in terms of her ability to 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 sneak through defensive lines, to, you know, take contact if she needs to, but to react quickly as well, come up with a kick or a pass when she's under pressure and I love watching her play. Gal Broughton, she's the name that we keep saying, and I think we're going to say lots of her as the season continues. But it was just great um, to see this game take place in Barua and just the, the amount of support that was thrown towards the game. I just love seeing everyone's social person. I know for the players in particular, um, how much it meant to them to be able to just fully immerse themselves in their culture and represent their families and the community. So a special weekend it was indeed.
Moving on to the Six Nations that is currently underway, a quick rundown of the scores. Ireland ended France's 14-match winning streak with a 32-19 win. Scotland were ruthless against Wales, defeating them 35-7. But the match that I want to cover is England, who took on Italy, and they won 31-14. And this is under their new coach, Steve Brothwick. This was huge. Um, England have been hugely dominant. They've been under a lot of scrutiny, um, seeing how they would fare in the lead-up to the World Cup. But they responded quickly um, after being sliced apart by Scotland last weekend. They went back to the typical game of set-piece dominance, and it was so great to see that by the time half time came around, they really did insert their dominance, and by the end of it, were able to come away with the win. But everyone has been talking about Henry Ardenell. He's considered one of England's next big prospects. He's a winger. He's got force. He's got speed, and I think he'll be one to watch in the lead-up to the World Cup also. It's exciting watching the uh, Six Nations take place, and Sarah always bringing the... Uh concise wraps on, on what's happening in that. Now, sticking with rugby and former flying Fijian, Namani Nodolo, he, uh, as we know, has been signed by the New South Wales Waratahs and he managed to score the match winner in their tri- uh, pre-season trial against the Queensland Reds, which they won 33-32. to 32. Um, He's back at the Tars. He was signed in 2009, didn't get a chance to play, but it's great to see uh, someone of his stature get back on the field in Super Rugby and uh, dominate for the Waratahs there. Yeah, he's certainly been a welcome addition down at Daisyville and everyone's been placing a lot of um, expectation as to what they um, would like to see of the Fijian flyer. But I guess that clutch performance on the winger does give us a bit of insight to what we can expect of him throughout Super Rugby Pacific. So just watch this space because Nandola's back and he... I spoke to him actually about two weeks ago um, and there's a there's a firm belief in the group as to how far they can go in this season. You're still Tars through and through, aren't you, Says. Oh, of course. She's a tar at heart. What do you expect, Hala? <laughs> a side that is not experiencing great success is the New Zealand White Ferns, who have had a disastrous start to their T20 World Cup. The White Ferns lost by 97 runs in their opening T20 match against Australia. Elliot Kirsch was a shining light for New Zealand, scoring 21 with the bat and taking four for 23 with the ball. This heavy defeat means New Zealand currently sit at the bottom of their pool. Uh, yeah, not a happy uh, outing for the... New Zealand White Ferns so far. Hopefully they can uh, rack up some wins and make it a bit more of a happy campaign. Now, the NRL, I mentioned the All-Stars before, and the preseason kicked off over the weekend. There's an NRL preseason challenge. So there's points on offering in games for teams, and there's going to be a winner crowned at the end of the two weeks of, of competing. Um, it got underway on Thursday night over in New Zealand with the Warriors taking on the Tigers. Don't want to talk too much about that game, as I said before, because it was all the Warriors. Marcelo Montoya, actually, the Fijian international, picked up three tries. He looked very deadly for the Warriors. Other games, the Dolphins got to play their first match. They, they took on the Cowboys up in Cairns, um, which is cool for... North Queensland to, to take a game up to Cairns to a regional location and give the Dolphins their first out in 22 all draw in that match. So Cowboys, we know last year, they pushed it all the way through to a qualifying semifinal. They were a, a very strong team in the NRL in 2022. Obviously, they played a lot of their, their younger players, giving them opportunity to show themselves. But the Dolphins made a good, of a, counter thing, a good account of things, I should say. Jack Bostock created history by scoring their first ever try in the seventh minute of the match. Um, but a real tight one end to end. Looked like really tough conditions up there too. Very hot and humid and all players needing the, the sort of the drinks break midway through each half so that they didn't uh, get too thirsty. The Broncos and Titans, another Queensland Derby, also was a draw, 24 points all. And I guess the, the standout for that match was Reese Walsh at fullback, back for the Broncos. He showed some really good touches, but he did get injured towards the end of the game. So that's a little bit of concern. I don't know if he's playing this week. I think he's out. Um, so 
for the Broncos, you want to keep an eye on him and, and make sure he's fit because it looks like a lot of their attack is going to focus on what he can bring. And then another bit of a difference to this preseason challenge is that the English Super League um, have sent out St. Helens to play the World Club Challenge against the Panthers, but they're also competing in this in this preseason challenge. They took on the Dragons last week down in Wollongong and they beat them 30 points to 18. So not bad for a touring team to come down and, and get the campaign started with a 30 to 18 win over the Dragons, who again, that they were playing a lot of trial players or a lot of younger players to give them that experience. But still, it was a competitive game, and, and St. Helens have put themselves in probably a good frame of mind with some confidence going into the, their match against the Panthers this week. Yeah, that's a huge tip for St. Helens, but I think the Dragons will be saying, it doesn't matter, it's just a preseason fixture, it's just about us trying combinations. We've all heard it before, haven't we? Yeah, we have. It's, that's what that's what the coaches say when they, they get beaten in uh, March, or sorry, I should say February. It's, it's not about <laughs> competition points, although there are on some on um, up for grabs at the moment. Now, turn our attention to the NFL. It was Super Bowl Monday earlier in the week, and uh, I was really looking forward to this game. The Kansas City Chiefs taking on the Philadelphia Eagles. I mentioned last week about both those teams being the best attacking teams uh, in their respective conferences. They had a very similar record, identical record going into this game. So it was all set up to be the match of the season, and it turned out to be that uh, the Kansas City Chiefs ended up taking home the trophy, 38 points to 35. It came down to a field goal in the last 11 seconds of the game, kicked by their place kicker, Harrison Buckter, and um, he didn't. He put it straight through the middle. Uh, there's a little bit of a controversy in the lead-up. The Chiefs had the ball and were driving down the field, and they got – uh, a foul. There's a foul against the opposition opposition team. A holding call on uh, one of the wide receivers for the Kansas City Chiefs. He was trying to get clear to catch a pass from Patrick Mahomes. Um, he got held back by a defender. It was very light contact. There's been a bit of um, conjecture over whether or not it should have been a flag. But the player who did the who gave away the foul himself acknowledged that he grabbed the jersey. So in the end, put the Kansas City Chiefs in position to get it done. The MVP for the match uh, was Patrick Mahomes, their quarterback. He's come into the last few weeks with an ankle injury, and he was clearly hampered by it at different stages of this game. He went down in the second quarter and came up limping after a run and looked like he was going to be taken from the field. But fortunately for the Chiefs, he was able to get some treatment in the break and, and make sure he took his place in the team. He ended up with three throwing touchdowns, uh, 182 yards passing, and uh, he actually ran for 44 yards, which for him with the busted ankle, it was above his average – it was a big effort from Patrick Mahomes uh, and his connection as well with Travis Kelsey, their tight end was on display again. Travis Kelsey picking up a touchdown and 81 yards, a tight end is heading towards Hall of Fame status. On the other side of things, the Philadelphia Eagles, Jalen Hurts, who their superstar, who's their superstar quarterback, I should say, 304 throwing yards and one touchdown passing. But he also got three rushing touchdowns himself, which is a record for a quarterback in a Super Bowl. Uh, he, he would have been MVP for sure had the Philadelphia Eagles won the game. But unfortunately, they couldn't get the job done. He did have one blemish. He came up with a fumble uh, in the first half that led to a touchdown to the defensive unit for the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, so a bit of a blemish, but otherwise a huge performance from him. And uh, their receivers were outstanding. His, his throwing was amazing. Devonta Smith, seven receptions, 100 yards. And then AJ Brown, six receptions, 96 yards and one touchdown. So it was the big moment. It was such a great game. And um, what's even better was Rihanna was a halftime entertainment and she put on a great show. Well, as always, Harlem, I thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly appreciate your insight and your in-depth knowledge around the NFL. It sucks though because we did tip the Eagles to win, in which they didn't. But adding on to the whole comment about Rihanna and she announced her pregnancy. Yes, big news in a big moment. Uh, 
ASAP, ASAP has some truth in his name because that girl <laughs> just gave birth recently. <laughs> <laughs> Noah time on Can You Be More Pacific? Joining us this week for Talanoa Time, we're very lucky to have uh, Cook Islands uh, Cricket President. Uh, sorry, he's a president of the Cook Islands Cricket Association. His name's Grant Walker, and he joins us right now. Grant, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, Kiorana, and to you both of you, Kiora, and uh, and hello um, from Rarotonga here in the middle of the Pacific. Well, it's great to great to have you on, as you say, from uh, Rarotonga. And uh, I guess the first one we'll get get into is tell uh, our audience a little bit about yourself, uh, where you're from, and uh, where you are now. Obviously, Rarotonga. Uh, originally from Boston, east coast of the United States. Uh, my wife and I moved down here in. She got here in 2001. I came in 2002. So I've got 20 years here in the Cook Islands, um, and uh, you know, fully cookie now. Uh, two lovely kids. Uh, one of whom is uh, is an Australian adopted, and uh, so you know I've got a an American side and a, and a cookie side uh, in the family. I said to him when he got his uh, American citizenship, you go from a couple of Akas to eleven carrier battle groups. Congratulations! <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Great. You speak about how your wife moved over um, prior to you moving over. What attracted mm-hmm. you to the Cook Islands from Boston? To be honest, she came on a trip with a friend who was going to Australia, and they decided just to, as a stopover, um, back in 1999, 2000, I think, and uh, and she just loved the place. I mean, it really is. If you've been around the Pacific, uh, the Cook Islands are, are kind of unique. That relationship that we have, as well as that Nui has with New Zealand, uh, definitely is a difference maker in terms of uh, political stability and and the overall um, economic health of the islands. So uh, it just was a lovely spot. And I think she'd always wanted to, to go somewhere um, and get out of the States and, and uh, you know, the Caribbean being what it is. I, I, I just followed, you know, I'm not a big fan of the ocean or swimming or anything, but I was a big fan of her. You could you could find far worse places to uh, to land in in your in your lifetime, so it's a it's a good thing. I, I guess the odd thing that that I'm I'm trying to think about is is Boston and cricket, and it's not a place that is often associated with cricket. How did your, your journey into cricket start? I'll be honest. Uh, well, I've always been a baseball guy. I was a baseball umpire from a very young age. Uh, I actually umpired a couple of games at Fenway Park uh, in the Yawkey League, which is a semi-pro league, uh, umpired to a high level. And um, when I moved down here, uh, that stopped. And I thought to myself, well, I'll, I'll get more involved in other sports. I didn't really get involved in cricket right away. I was busy with business and uh, and a bunch of other things. And, and while I enjoyed the game, and I understood the game, and I watched the game. In fact, one of the very first programs I watched when I moved down here, because there was only a single TV channel, was the Australian Network, ABC, and they showed indoor cricket. So I used to be up at 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. watching indoor cricket and thinking, this is a great game. So uh, eventually, uh, some friends of mine who were involved in cricket came along and said, hey, would you like to help out? And I said, absolutely, I'll do what I can. Um, and uh, and that that was about 2016 when I started sponsoring the game here locally, uh, and then became the president in 2018, and have been since then. Uh, just uh, and we can go into more detail later, but that that's the, the quick of story of it, if you can. It's such great insight. 
When you talk about cricket and you, we think about Cook Islands, what is the landscape of the sport um, currently like in, in the country? It's, we are in a position where we need to grow it again. I mean, if once upon a time it was, there were only you know, two or three sports stops. It was, it was re- union rugby and cricket. And uh, before in an era before VHS and, uh, and DVD, the, everyone would come down. It would, there'd be hundreds of people surrounding the field. Um, and even when I first got to the Island, it was a very much a, a larger sport. And the in, the influx of, I mean, soccer predominantly because of the enormous amount of money that's involved in soccer. Um, they have a full facility here with stands, multiple fields, lights. Uh, they, you know, they, they are just funded to the point where they can run a, a lot of programs. And rugby union is has always had the passion of the villages and and a lot of people. That's rugby, rugby, rugby. Obviously, with the um, with the All Blacks and so on. And Rugby League has taken a large chunk of the youth and because they a lot of their heroes are playing Rugby League. So, you know, every sport you look at and you say, uh, I want to be like Dylan Napa or I want to be like that, you know, that guy and that sort of thing. So where we are as a sport, we've got a lot of a lot of work to do to build the youth and to convince people that the game uh, is for the youth and um and that's that's going to be our biggest hurdle. It's we're definitely not where we once were as a sport in the island, but we can be there again. Uh, it's just going to take a lot of effort. Now, recently, the um, the club cricket competition there in Rarotonga wrapped up, and and can you tell us a little bit about um, the men's and women's side of things, and and who got up, and I guess also how many teams are participating at the moment in those competitions? Yeah, we have a domestic competition on Rarotonga. Um, which is uh, at the moment has eight men's teams and seven women's teams. And the goal is actually to have at least eight of each. Uh, there is an ICC requirement to have eight women's teams, but we've been grandfathered a little bit into having fewer with the expectation that we'll get there. Um, and so what that is, is it, there's a little requirement that it has to be a hardball T20 minimum cricket uh, played by at least four teams with at least five matches and and so there's criteria. So our domestic season is usually uh, eight eight teams and eight teams finishing off with uh, a, a, a double elimination round robin. Uh, this year was unique in that I was able to uh, talk to somebody I know who does streaming, and we were able to stream the games, which was fantastic. We were able to get the the, the men's and women's final out to the Pa Enoa and to uh, and to the folks in in Australia, New Zealand, and around the world. Um, and so that's something we want to continue doing. Absolutely, they, uh, the the season itself, a lot of a lot of interest, um, a lot of excitement, but some hurdles because um, again we have limited facilities. Our, almost all of our fields are multifunction, multi-purpose, so we share them with the soccer and the and the rugby codes. Um, and one of them was undergoing maintenance, so there's only one dedicated cricket field with an artificial wicket. And that one is, and all of our fields don't meet international standards. They're quite small. So, um, so our games were a little restricted in that sense. Um, we were, we had to do a little finagling with the, with the scheduling and, and some teams, uh, you know, never played a home game for all intents and purposes. For those joining us, we're chatting now with the president of the Cook Islands Cricket Association, Grant Walker. Grant, you speak about the challenges that come with cricket in the Cook Islands. No doubt there'll be some memorable moments within it also. What was, I guess, one of your favourite moments um, from the recent tournament? 
Uh, I just really, really enjoyed the passion that the players brought to it, uh, the excitement. Um, we had the eventual winner, the K-11 Orcas from Tupapa, uh, my home village. Uh, we're, we're a bunch of them were very young, um, in their twenties, uh, early twenties and, uh, and hadn't played that team was only formed two years ago. So last year they came in a third or, um, and then this year they won it all. And a bunch of them are police officers. So those guys, you know, taking time out of their making their schedule work, taking time out of what's a, a pretty intense job to, uh, to, to participate in cricket was fantastic. Um, so yeah, I just that was one of my favorite things is just seeing the grand final in particular. We had a bouncy castle, uh, like, so the kids were down there, and we had a bunch of food trucks as well. Uh, it was just a really nice day. It was a really nice event, and it was good to see the crowds with their families there and showing you, you know, the cricket. It can be exciting, absolutely. Grant, one thing that I'm, I'm interested in is that. Obviously, working in, in a in a sport environment, you, you get a lot of opportunity to connect with the community. Uh, for yourself, being uh, from the States and, and now 20-plus years in the Cook Islands, how has the uh, experience with culture been for you? Have you um, been able to learn a lot about Cook Island culture and, and you know yourself get involved in, in your own cultural practices? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, you know, I was just at the K-11 wrap-up the other night. I mean, just... Uh, you know, singing the old songs and and having a, a beer with the boys. Um, and just, it was just really great. I mean, it was a wonderful, you know, when you hear that, the, the cookie music start to go, uh, you know that you're going to probably, you got to be careful. You're going to see, <laughs> you're going to see the, the sun come up. Uh, so, yeah, uh, that was, that was pretty special. And, and, uh, and I, all the clubs have their wrap ups. I mean, that's one of the nice things is about the, the clubs are village based. You know, you've got your Ararangi, who were the runner-ups, and Takovaini uh, and and Murray, and so on. So there's a there's a very um, village base to the clubs, but uh, but and they all uh, they're all. I, I get, I'm trying to find the best way of putting it, but it's just you got to see it to believe it. I mean, it's not it's not like a, a lot of places where it's just folks who happen to be in the neighborhood join a club. I mean, here, if you, if you play for Murray and you want to go play for our you better have a darn good reason. <laughs> um, yeah. It sounds like there's this real tribalism feel amongst um, all, all the teams involved. Absolutely. And then from a, from, I mean, I'm one of the rare ones that I don't play. I haven't played the game. I think I, I have one suited up once for Titicavaca Titans back in the day. They were short a man and uh, my hamstrings didn't recover for three weeks. <laughs> uh, I mean, that was, that was at 48 or something. So, you know, uh, but regardless, uh, yeah, the, uh, the main part of it is definitely, you know, getting these people out together, bonding, through the sport um yeah that's that's to me is why i'm involved in it and uh and obviously i want to be able to see my kids be able to play the game so we're i mean you know if we can touch upon that we're very excited about what we're starting with our youth program and and where we hope to build speaking of what are your plans for cook island cricket in 2023 you just touched on briefly then about developing the youth but are there any bigger plans i guess in the works Pardon me. Uh, absolutely. I mean, the last year, if I could go back a moment to 2022, um, because of COVID, we hadn't really done much. And there was an opportunity for the men's team to go to a qualifier, um, a, a regional a T20 World Cup 
sub-regional qualifier. Uh, so the winner of that would go on to the, the full regional qualifier, and then Anst, the winner of that qualifier, would go on to the World Cup. So we were you know, a couple of victories away from possibly being in the World Cup, and we had not traveled internationally as a national team since 2014. Um, in fact, we didn't have a national team. So we had the good fortune of having somebody who was here in the islands, a gentleman by the name of Craig Murray, who had coaching experience. He was a Kiwi, and he'd come over um, with his wife, who is a Cook Islander, and was doing some work with the Autism Foundation here. So uh, just a very giving person, and he put his hand he put his hand up and said, "I'm willing to to coach the team." Um, we had some meetings, and we said, "All right, we only had we only had 90 days to get this done." They they let us know in in June that we were going to be in in Vanuatu in early September. Uh, and we, what we did is we reached out to those cookies in Australia and New Zealand, and we were very fortunate to have uh, a gentleman by the name of Mara Ave, who's now a contract player with the Central District Stags. He was he uh, he put his hand up as well and said, "Yeah, I'm willing to play." And because Cook Islanders don't carry their own passports, we carry Cook we carry New Zealand passports. That's what they're issued to Cook Islanders. I had to go through a series of steps with the ICC to get them to acknowledge that Cook Islanders are, are Cook Islanders by birth. In this case, if you're up to your great-great-grandparent. But all of these players had uh, parents or grandparents who were Cook Islanders. So we got them approved, and we had a team that was formed by um, seven players in New Zealand, all Cook Islands ancestry, and the seven best players that we could train and, and, and get on the squad from Rarotonga and we met in Auckland for the very first time in September, just five days prior to the tournament. And we played some warm-up matches against an Auckland Maori side that had been formed just to do that. And so that was great because through New Zealand cricket and through a gentleman by the name of Mike Tillett and Andrew Tara at New Zealand cricket, they were able to use our coming over and the needing warm-up games as an impetus to creating an Auckland Maori side. And that program has now gone on to they're now playing the, the Northern District's Maori team and they're looking at creating additional teams. So we had those warm up matches and that was a really great cultural experience to meet the Maori boys. And to, so we did the, the haka and our and our they gave us the haka and we gave our response. Um, and that was fantastic. And so that's that we went on to the tournament and did very well we we finished three and three and we we defeated Vanuatu in a shocker and gained an international ranking so I know this sorry if this is a little long-winded but I'm just gonna say it that was really gave us such a, a boost uh, uh, about what we could do as a small country because we could tap uh, a larger pool of players to to offset the fact that there's maybe eight thousand souls on Rarotonga and another, 2500 throughout the rest of the Cook Islands. And here we are playing Samoa and Fiji and Vanuatu with much larger population bases. And in the case of Vanuatu, a professional program where their payer, players are paid and do nothing more than play cricket. So so for us to go there and be able to compete at that level was fantastic. And just and when we we came back and it's one of the rare times I think that the Cook Islands has had that successful a tour with that long a layoff. And so I want to replicate that in 2023 with the women because they've been invited to a qualifier um, for the first time. And the last time they traveled was 2015 when they went to Japan. So we've got a lot of work ahead of us to get the, the, the women's side ready. 
But again, we're looking at um, hopefully getting a few high performance players from New Zealand, or um, but maybe two or three to help. And the remainder of the, the team will be uh, composed of those from Rarotonga. Um, and I, I thought to myself, you know, that's probably the way forward. So what we've been able to do, establishing that relationship with New Zealand cricket and with Auckland cricket and Northern Districts, is that this year when we go in late August with the women's team on the way to Vanuatu, they're going to stop in Auckland and play warm-up games against an Auckland a Maori women's team that's being formed specifically for this task. And the men's team is coming down to play just a, a little friendly series against Northern Districts and Auckland Maori and possibly a New Zealand development team. And we're going to stay hopefully on a Marae and we're going to make this something fairly regular because we want to make we want to make cricket a Pacific cricket. And to that end, the ICC is very excited about this because they've actually developed a thing called the Pacific Cup, which is all of the Pacific Island nations women's cricket being played, you know, not not just in terms of the international scheduling that happens with World Cups and and the, this is a specific event designed specifically to enhance the profile of women's cricket in the Pacific. So we've got two women's events. We've got the we've got this World Cup qualifier, and then come January of next year, we're going to have a Pacific Cup match. So the and New Zealand cricket was very excited about you know what we've been able to do working with Auckland cricket and with Northern District cricket to develop this on our own. They're 100% behind it because that's actually sort of mirroring what they're already intending to do. For listeners that's joining us, we're chatting with the president of the Cook Islands Cricket Association, Grant Walker. Grant, it's great to hear, one, the passion that you have, obviously, for for cricket in the Cook Islands, but also the opportunities that you're opening up, not just for yourselves, but for other emerging um, groups of or subsets of, of people and, and also countries to, to get um, some development at the elite level in, in cricket. I guess my, my last question is, uh, what's your your pitch, I guess, to young boys and girls in the Cook Islands that maybe haven't tried cricket and want to pick up a bat and a ball and, and give it a crack? Uh, first and foremost, let's just remember that uh, there was a time when kids played all kinds of sports. They played, you know, whatever was available during that time. And there's been sort of a tilt towards year-round specializing in one particular sport. And not everybody's great at rugby, and not everybody's great at soccer. Give cricket a try, uh, is my is what I'm saying. Is is uh, be a rounded athlete. I think that cricket, unlike some of the other sports, teaches one of the essential things that's lost in this modern world, and that is patience. Um, that is the ability to understand that you are playing a team game as an individual, uh, and that you you know you may not do anything for long stretches of time, and then moments later be the hero. Uh, it's a it's a wonderful sport. It's an easy sport to pick up because it doesn't require, um, you know, the, the a lot of the uh, athleticism that some of the other sports require uh, right off the bat. So you know, if you've got somebody who's who's a little bit, uh, I've been on the couch playing video games for the last two years. Don't worry, cricket's for you. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> we'll burn those pounds the old fashioned way. <laughs> 
I love it, Grant. So it's just so wonderful to hear, I guess, or just have a better understanding of how cricket functions in the Cook Islands. And yes, just echoing everything that you've said, if you're someone at home considering if a sport is for you, definitely go try out cricket because there is space in the game for you. Before we wrap up, we'd love to wrap a tip on um, segment with our guest, which is basically 60 seconds of rapid fire questions. Would you be down to play before we let you go? Go ahead. All right. Love it. Okay. The clock is on. What is your coffee order? Uh, flat white. Who is your sporting hero? Tom Brady. Do you fault or do you scrunch? Me. Toilet paper. We're talking toilet paper here. <laughs> I, I, oh, 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 yeah, fold, fold. Sorry. <laughs> I, I, I thought you were talking some sort of exercise. I was like, good gravy. <laughs> no, no, no. What would be your wrestler entrance song? Oh, uh, Jeez. Whiskey in the jar. Favorite movie as a kid? Raiders of the Lost Ark. What's something you could eat for a month straight? Red licorice. Yum. Favorite place you've traveled to? Favorite place I've traveled to? Oh, geez. I'd say Florence, Italy. What is the most used app on your mobile phone? Oh, Messenger. Do you have a hidden talent? Uh, I can whistle really well. Sample. Which Let's go. Which you put on first, left or right? Oh, usually the right. What song do you play to make you feel good? Um, geez, Scotland Forever. Great answers. That Very good answers, Sarah. You went past the clock down. You went past the minute, well, Sarah. Good work. <laughs> It's because I actually really enjoyed his answers. I wanted to get more and more out of him. Great answers. Grant, thanks very much right. once again for joining us. It's been an awesome, as Sarah said, to, to get your insights, but um, also to, to have some hope for what's happening with Cook, Cook Lions Cricket. And uh, we wish you all the best in qualifying for next year's men's T- uh, T20 World Cup. Hey, thank you so much. You can ask that. Your chance to ask what it's really like to be an elite athlete on Can You Be More Pacific? Yes, Sarah, time for our listeners to ask us a question about what it's like to be in the world of sport. Uh, You're a current athlete. I'm a former athlete. We've got a little bit of experience, so it's good for us to share some of our insights. Yes, it is good for us to share some of our insights. And our question this week uh, came to me in my Instagram DM from Ben. And his question is, why don't super rugby fans fill the stands? Yeah, so it's a tough one. It is very, very close, very personal. I guess the first thing I want to state is that I won't deny that rugby is often perceived um, within society as a sport preserved uh, for GPS schools, those who go to private schools, have a lot of money, et cetera, et cetera. I acknowledge that that does exist. Um, And I guess because of that, a lot of people steer away from the game because they don't think the game is as accessible compared to other sports like rugby league, say, for instance. Um, so why don't Super Rugby fill the stands? I think because of that misconception of that it's only preserved for a, a certain parts of society. Um, I guess TV coverage, sometimes if you think, well, this game's going to be on telly and I can sit in the comfort of my own home, why would I budge? Um, 
price for families, like it can be quite expensive um, to to pay for, you know, your whole family of however many to, to go and attend and you're thinking about transport, food, parking. Like there's a whole bunch of expenses that go into it. Um, so I, I can see why that there are reasons, I guess, why families or people would choose not to fill the stands. But I want to save what I think fans should be able to do um, and, and kind of throw it to you, Hala, and see if you have anything that you want to add to that. Yeah, well, like I agree with your point around um, TV coverage. Like, if you've got really good TV coverage, then you tend to be okay to stay at home and watch it on on the box and or listen it listen to it on the radio and and make sure sorry and and, and eliminate that that cost of going to a game. Um, you don't have to pay for your food and drink. You just go to the fridge and grab it and watch it in the comfort of of your own home. So. That, that, I guess, has is, is sort of evolved over the last few years. But I know that that's the case in rugby league. We've got such good coverage that I've got a lot of friends that would prefer to, to stay home and watch it on, on the telly instead of going out to a ground and, and paying whatever it is to, to get in. I, I guess with, like, entry costs for families and whatnot, costs have gone up everywhere to get into anything, going to bowling, going to the movies. Like, I, I know myself when I want to take my kids to the movies – I've got to put some money aside that week to do it because it's quite it's quite expensive, especially when you get in front of the um, the food and they want to get popcorn and all those sorts of things. Same thing goes when you go to the football. So I get that those those pressures exist, um, and the private school or elite elitism of of rugby union is definitely something that I've heard of since I was a kid, and I poke fun at my friends that are in the game about it about being very elitist. Although most of the rugby people I know aren't from that background they're, they're working class people that you know would fit nicely in league but also love the game of rugby union thus they chose to play it um yeah it, it's a hard one to sort of wrap your head around because i think there's so many different factors that keep people from um getting up and and going to the games yeah, just adding to what you said like i play rugby union i obviously play for the waratahs play for the australian wallaroos and i have I went to a public school. I came through the system in a strong pathway. And, you know, I guess I'm living proof that it's not just for the GPS schools or people with money or who come from um, very rich backgrounds. It is for the everyday. It's just about whether you take the opportunity when it's given to you or if you seek it. Because if you do, then eventually something will open up, God willing, and hopefully. I guess what I want to add to this and a bit of a spin to the question is if you're someone that's like, oh, why should I go to a game? Like, I want to be able to like share something on that. Like there are so many cool stories that I've heard and even experienced myself of like there are experiences that you can't forge or duplicate unless you're at the stadium. And I think, Holly, you could speak to this because you're involved extensively with the NRL, but there's so much time and effort that goes through um, each club to be able to host a, a home game day. Like you're thinking about the way that they sell the tickets and when you get there, there's all these game day activations and often if you're not in the 23 or if you're not in the 13, I guess, for league, you, you'll you be pushed out to promo. So you're connecting with fans both pre or halftime or post game. So there are connection and experiences that you just won't get unless you're there. And I've, you know, we've spoken about it before, like so many cool players now who have put up a picture of them and say Jonathan, Jonathan Thurston and then them taking a photo because they're playing first grade and they got to play against Jonathan Thurston. Like those are just experiences and moments of connection that you just cannot duplicate unless you're there. So I know that it there are many reasons or I guess, yeah, there are many reasons why people would choose not to go to the game because it's just like, why would you? I can do this at home, blah, blah, blah. But don't forfeit the opportunity to to get around the teams that you love and the players that you love because they're, they're memories that you can't ever buy. Like you just have to live through them. 
I like that, Sarah. So it, I guess in answer to Ben's question, why, why don't they fill the stands? It's more of a, why don't you, why don't you get out there and watch the rugby? Because you're going to, otherwise you're going to miss out on all these opportunities and all these awesome things. Absolutely. That is exactly my answer. So I know it's a, I, I kind of like went a little bit all over the shop, but I'm, I am fiercely protective of the game because I play in it, I work in it, um, and I love it because it's given me so much. And I know that if people are able to just break down, I guess, their, their barriers or their misconceptions of what they think rugby union is because it's much more than what you may think it is if you have not yet experienced it, then I think um, you'd be more inclined to just buy a ticket when, you know, the Wallabies are hosting a Bledisloe game or Super Rugby's in your town. So um, get around the game because it's good and let's be part of the the changing narrative of like, you know, we're going to host the World Cup here in 2029. We want to be able to see those stadiums. Oh, 25 and, no, sorry, 27 and 29, 27 for the men and 29 for the women. Um, So get around it when you can because it's it's bloody fantastic. Well said, Sarah. Now, if you've got a question like Ben, you can send it to our DMs on Insta. Uh, I'm at Dean Hullitow, and this is Sarah's at Sarah Ningama. Can you be more Pacific on ABC Radio Australia? Oh, my God. Woo! You're with Sarah and Dean talking all things sport across the Pacific. Stick around, we'll spotlight our favourite socials and tackle the top headlines in the ruck. Can you be more Pacific? Keeping it social. This week for Keeping It Social, there was lots of content to choose from. Hala, I'm going to go first. I hope you don't mind. But the best thing about rugby league and rugby union starting up again means there is so much more content from the clubs. And my one comes from the All-Stars game on the weekend because the Māori Fuentaka was a moment for this season to always remember. Seriously, Holly, it doesn't get any better than that. You've got both your captains, Gail Broughton and Shannon Matto, just leading the charge and with so much conviction and power. Yeah, the hairs on the back of my neck stood up for that. It's so awesome to hear how much passion that the the girls have on display when they perform their hucker. And uh, one of the things that, that, that sort of was really cool about that event, I went and stood outside while the huckers were on and um, the crowd really got into the indigenous war cries as well. Like they, they loved it. Obviously the, uh, it would have been 98% of the, the crowd there were, were Maori and, and supporting the Maldives. But um, when the indigenous were doing their war dance, there was a lot of respect around the grounds, but hearing that, that audio there from the, from the Maori ferns, it was um, yeah, spine tingling. Love it. What did you find this week? Well, this this came out last week on the Penrith Panthers Instagram page, and uh, I, I seen someone tag it in their story, and I jumped on and had a look, and they've put together this little content piece, uh, which is pretty awesome, and uh, it's basically saying like they've they've conquered something, but the the best is yet to come. They're, they're not, um, you know, they're not going to sit there and let the world pass them by, sort of thing. It's a bit of a 
um, a bit of a staunch, a bit of a flex from the Panthers, but um, listen to listen to the backing track to it. Here we are again. Another mountain conquered. Another mission complete. The trophy is staying in Penrith. They have defended their title. Yeah, that's right. It's back where it belongs. You thought you were the hunters? That was us all along. The 2022 Telstra NRL champions, the Penrith Panthers. Team, brothers, family, our bond is built from within. That bone crunching tackle. That try in the corner. We know how to win. Pretty awesome. I love the Panthers. Yeah, they they, they backed themselves, and uh, any any of our listeners jump on their Instagram page and watch the whole clip because um, it's it's it kind of gets you gets you going. Like I wanted to play football after watching it. It was um it was pretty cool, and yeah, great song too to to go along with it. Ah, uh, Panthers, they actually do a really good job at doing content. So I'll I'll give that one to you, Holly. You you did really well this week, mate. And you would know what good content is. I do, because I now have hit over 13K followers on Instagram. <laughs> in the rut. Tackling the tough headlines in sport on Can You Be More Pacific? This week in the rut, we have a few headlines to tackle, and the first being the Dolphins v North Queensland Cowboys game, where coach Wayne Bennett, who is the coach of the Dolphins, did a bit of a no-show to the game. Yeah, he, he chose not to travel with his team to Cairns. And uh, when watching the broadcast, they flashed to the coach's box and Christian Wolf, who's obviously been the, he's been the Tongan coach, the national coach for a, a few years now, has got a, a fairly good uh, resume in rugby league, spent some time and had some success at St. Helens in the Super League um, and, and is a great coach. But he's uh, the man that appeared on screen. Now, there's a few questions around why Wayne wasn't there. Um, I was in my own thoughts, thinking, you know, maybe something's um, something's happened and, and he can't make it for personal reasons. So um, that's, I guess, the way it is. But just reading into it a little bit more yesterday, and um, it appears that uh, it's something that he's done in the past where he wants to give his coaches, his assistant coaches, an opportunity for development by letting them take control in those trial matches and, and see what happens, which... Kind of, it's not a bad idea, but there's been quite a few um, people come out and be critical of the fact that he wasn't there. This is what um, the CEO for the Dolphins, Terry Reader, had to say. He said, uh, this is nothing new about Wayne Bennett not being in the coaches' boxes for the early trials. He has always made a part of the development path for assistant coaches that they take control of the team during the first two trial matches. So there, that, that was um, the reasoning that, that was given by the CEO. Um, yeah, I, I guess... For a club that's new into the competition and, and on display for the very first time, it's a pretty big moment and um, perhaps people were expecting to see the great man at the helm. I just love that Wayne Ben was like, well, I've always done this. I'm not going and it doesn't even matter. And everyone's like, okay, we're just going to accept it because Wayne Bennett is Wayne Bennett and you can't question him. Yeah. Look, I've I've been lucky enough to spend some time with Wayne Bennett in, um, in the Kiwi squad and he is a funny guy. He's very likable. Um, he's great to spend time with. And he's one of those guys that is constantly thinking outside the box and, and thinking of of things that are going to help. And I, I guess this was something that he felt um, or he, he's he's implemented this on, on a few occasions by the sounds of it. And he thinks it's going to help the side. So Christian Wolf got an opportunity to take over. And Nathan Fiennes, the other coach at the 
um, at the Dolphins, who was up there as well. And, and, and Feeney, I, I got to play with the Kiwis while, while Wayne was there, and um, he holds them in pretty high regard. So good luck to them. They got a draw in their first outing, and they'll take on the Titans this week, which I'm assured, reading through the articles, that Wayne will be there for that one. <laughs> On that, some news arose this weekend that there's a documentary coming out about Wayne Bennett and the Dolphins. It's going to be called The Dawn of the Dolphins, which will come out next month. So I'm actually really looking forward to it because I enjoy, like, going into the locker room in a sanctum kind of never-be-seen footage. So I'm really excited for that one. Yeah, I've, I, apparently this this started way back before um, or around the time they were granted a licence or before they were granted a licence. It's all about the pathway into that. And, um, yeah, I agree. I think it's going to be pretty cool. Love it. Following on with NRL, we spoke about the All-Stars game earlier, but another great story was that the women's game was officiated by Cook Islander Rochelle Tamaroa. She has already refereed uh, within the NRLW competition as well as last year's Rugby League World Cup, but it's so cool to be able to see a Pacifica woman on this on the stage um, and doing her thing, particularly in a refereeing capacity. Yeah, we, we always talk about um, representation at all levels of the game, both players, uh, administrators, coaches, and referees is not something that often gets mentioned, uh, but it's great news for Rochelle to get that opportunity. She's shown what she can do, like you said, through the NRLW uh, in the matches she's been given there and, and having uh, the ability to travel over and, and um, referee at the World Cup in uh, the Northern Hemisphere was another good experience for her. And um, I, I was at the game and where, where I was positioned, I, I got an opportunity to hear some of the communications that goes on between the the match day coaches for the referees and the video referees and also Rochelle in the field and there was a couple of moments where there was some communication dropouts due to technical difficulties but she handled it really well and she remained really calm and I thought she refereed the game terrifically so it's um, great exposure great experience and no doubt we're going to see a lot of her in the um, in the seasons to come. Love it. Now, sticking with Rugby League, now north uh, up north in Queensland, the Mackay Cutters, who are far north Queensland, they've signed a Papua New Guinea Orchards front rower, S.A. Banu. Banu has signed for the 2023 Queensland Rugby League women's season. Um, one, it's great that she's been able to sign, but she made her debut for the Orchids back in 2022 at the World Cup. So it's been a quick rise for herself, uh, and it's going to be great to see her on display for the Orchids, sorry, for the Cutters. She also played in the... Um, Indigenous All-Stars on the weekend too. Yeah, that's really huge news for SA. Like you mentioned, she's only 20 years old, so no doubt she has a big future ahead of her. Speaking of futures, up beside Coruscant, he is a man that many people love and adore, and the West Tigers have signed him, which adds great depth to them for the 2023 season. The 30-year-old hooker will captain the team in his first season at the club. This is hugely exciting. He's a three-time Premiership winner, and at the season launch held earlier this week, he was announced as captain. How does this make you feel, Hal? Because you obviously have connections to this club and also this club is also known for having many captains and now they have one captain. So this is fantastic. Well, the the, the multiple captains kind of went out with, I think um, might have been uh, Ivan Cleary brought it in when he was a coach and then uh, Michael Maguire carried it over. I think I've got that right. Um, so obviously uh, they've had a change of of leadership with Tim Sheens now at the helm and uh, assisted by Benji Marshall and Robbie Farah. Look, it's it's great. I, I love Uppy as a, as a player. I think he's, you know, in, at least in the conversation, top two or three hookers in the game, and he continues to impress with every, every performance. The interesting thing I, f- I found about this was that 
uh, last year at the um, grand final celebrations for the Penrith Panthers, he said some things that were a little bit disparaging to the Tigers mm-hmm. and people kicked up a bit of a stink about it. The man was just celebrating the end of season. He may have had a few sports drinks under his belt and it was a bit tongue in cheek from him. Um, and as you know, three or four months down the track, he's been named captain. What it tells me is that he's made a real big impression on the group in the way that he's carried himself for training. Um, he's no doubt led from the front in everything they've done and the experience of those three premierships, one being at the South Sydney Rabbitohs, he's brought, he's going to bring with him a wealth of knowledge about what it takes to win rugby league. And I think being in a key position like Hooker, he's going to touch the ball more than anyone else in the game. Um, he's got that experience, like I said, with leadership. I think it's a, um, a good appointment. I think he's going to be a great leader and, and I hope it brings a lot of success for the club. Beautifully said. And just adding to that, Kevin, who is my big brother, Kevin Angama, he speaks about his involvement with Uppy and he says anytime that Uppy is named at hookup when they're playing in the Fijian jersey together, he just feels this strong sense of peace because he knows that Uppy is just such a great controller of the game and adds so much. So I'm really excited to see what he can do in the Tiger Colours. Last but not least, Super Rugby Pacific have announced some new law innovations for the 2023 season. Now, these new uh, laws have been created so that the game can be played a lot faster because there's been a lot of complaints, particularly from fans, about the constant stop-start that interferes with what could be an exciting product, which it is, but they're like, you guys are holding it up by having too many stoppages. So some of the new innovations that have been introduced are time restrictions. So referees will enforce 90-second time limits on conversions, 60 seconds on penalty kicks, 30 seconds for scrums and lineouts to be set and five seconds for the balls to be used at the ruck. Now, this creates an extremely, extremely fast game. Um, but I just want to quickly, I guess, pick on the the, the scrums and the lineouts to be set. That doesn't mean that they need to be in it, but it does mean, for instance, that everyone needs to be there ready. Like they need to be there in their pack. And if it's a lineout, they're bookends. So being there, you know, the people at the front and the back need to be there to set the line. This is going to be huge. <laughs> And I really don't know how it's going to unfold. But again, I believe in it. Um, another thing that has been introduced is that referee, referee sorry, can utilise the TMO to make a yellow card decision. But any extended TMO video reviews will take place once the player has left the field, not before the yellow card has been issued. So again, these are really big, big moves and it's going to create a lot of, uh, I don't know if, I wouldn't say stress, but um you know, I'm going to say stress because I think it's going to be quite stressful for players on the field, but I guess the onus will be on coaches and teams at training to to make sure that this is practice. Therefore, when it comes to the game, they aren't being penalised for time wasting. Yeah, look, I, I think this is great from uh, Super Rugby to announce these changes. This is something that that's um, that Rugby League is, is really firm on, making sure that there's not a lot of dead time in, in football because fans don't want to see players walking about and, and the rhythm of play disrupted. So when you introduce these time limits, it gets things moving along. Like you said, it's going to make the game a lot quicker. The stress is going to be on the people that actually have to um, police this. Like, there's going to be timekeepers mm. that are giving instructions to the referees or to whoever is on the other end of the comms to say, hey, the 90 seconds is up. There might be buzzers. I know in rugby league we have buzzers as well, but um, it's it's logistically a bit of a challenge to make sure it all works like clockwork. Sorry the pun. Sorry about the pun. Um, but <laughs> I think it's a good thing. And and also in terms of the, the TMO to make the yellow card decision um, and those extended reviews, I think that there's just ways of tightening. It's a way of tightening time up, wasted time and making sure that, like I said, if you've got more live play, um, if the percentage of the time that the ball is moving around in, in the overall time of a game is increased, then people enjoy it a lot more. It becomes a far more attractive product and good changes from Super Rugby Pacific. 
Yes, it is. And remembering also the Super Rugby Pacific competition begins on the 25th of this month, so it's not far off at all. ABC Radio Australia. Can you be more Pacific? Well, that brings us to the end of the show, but do not fear, we'll be back same time, same place next week. Don't forget, you can find all of our episodes on the Radio Australia website or wherever you listen to your podcasts. What's all the kia? Pacific, an ABC sport production for ABC Radio Australia. This program has been funded by the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade.